This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Additional terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Last year, both Stacy and I discovered Nutrafol, a supplement that supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. We've been so thrilled with the results that in 2022, we want to make sure every woman knows about Nutrafol, because as it turns out, 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through seasons when hair loss and thinning are normal, like postpartum and premenopausal, and all the times in between. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and more than 1,500 doctors recommended Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. Most importantly, Nutrafol is 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results. And major bonus, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and my favorite, better skin and nails. No matter your stage in life or whether you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, hormonal changes, overstyling, or some other reason, there's a Nutrafol product for you. Take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for personalized product recommendations. Grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code D-I-J-F-Y to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus get free shipping on every order. That's $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y. 
you know, single parents and parents who are partnered and blending and all of those things that you have to really look at your own family, right? You can't compare yourself to what everybody else is doing. You really have to trust your gut. And that's what's happened with me is like, I just personally get like, I get hard on myself and I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, they, he's doing all this stuff. But like I got to do with like, well, wait a second. One mom with four kids is very different than one dad and one kid. It's completely different. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Today, we've got the second installment of our new series, How We Feed, where we speak with family cooks to whom mainstream food media rarely speaks. In our first How We Feed, we had a very deep and emotional conversation with Kim Foster about feeding her foster family. If you haven't listened, we encourage you to hit play on that one next. We're super proud of the episode and have heard from so many listeners that it was a powerful conversation from which they learned a ton, even if they aren't foster parents or thinking of fostering. Today, though, we're talking to Kristen Chase of Cool Mom Picks, who we love. She used to be my boss over at Cool Mom Eats. She's fantastic. She's also a single mom of four kids. Our focus will be on what it's like being a single parent home cook, though, as we'll hear, she'll talk a little bit about just also feeding a larger family, which is something that I don't know, Megan, I feel like family food media doesn't talk about that a lot. Yeah. I want to do a a whole other, like how we feed with a huge family. Totally. Because I think there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. And it's, it's so interesting that so many family food recipes are written to feed for serving size, right? Yes. Okay. But before we get into our conversation with Kristen, we just want to say that this series was born of our passion to help as many busy home cooks as possible. And we're excited to be talking to guests who help us explore that passion in more expansive and inclusive ways. If you know someone who you think would be a great fit for this series or who is feeding a family for which the typical advice doesn't fit, please, please tell us. You can find us on email. You can find us on social. Even better, you can join our community. As a reminder, there's a free area of our community that absolutely anyone can join with just an email address. Or if you're able, you can become part of our supporting membership. And in return for that support, you get more direct access to us. (laughs) Who would want that? As well as exclusive episodes every month in a quarterly cocktail hour with a huge giveaway. And you guys, those exclusive episodes, there's two a month, which means you could get a total of eight Didn't I Just Feed You episodes every single month. Yes. And I want to say that we have a conversation coming up where we talk about our own experiences growing up with single moms. So if you want something that's adjacent to this subject, that would be a really great reason to join and listen. Except maybe our moms shouldn't join and listen because of this. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> and last, if Daisy didn't say already, if you can't join our community or become a supporting member right now, you can always support Jen I Just Feed You by leaving a rating or review or sharing an episode you love with someone who would find it useful. All right. Okay. I'm so excited. Kristen's the best guest. She's so funny. She's been parenting for a really long time. So I feel like she has this really wide view of what it means to parent. She has been partnered along the way. She has been single. She has four kids, which just also means 
practice parenting a whole lot of different personalities. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. You're like, oh, she's been parenting for a really long time. She has one kid who's about to go off to college. So she has like a couple years experience on you. But you also have kids who are the same age. And so it's like, yeah, my oldest, I think, is her second. Yes. Yes. So I think of you guys as being like equals in your experience. But there is something and we get into this a little bit about like the dynamic between having one kid or two kids or having four kids and whether you have a partner that supports you. A hundred percent. Yeah. Also, there's the number of years you've been parenting. But then I do think that parenting... For some people, when you are parenting someone whose personality you either get or is really complimentary to yours, that's a completely different experience than parenting someone who challenges you in ways that, um, you know, I don't know. you? Yes. It requires you like really look deep and like figure out, is this me? Is this them? Is it, you know, like, how do I have to stretch myself? to be an effective parent, to be a good and caring parent. I don't like the word good around parenting, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, so it's not just the number of years you've been parenting. I feel like that the fact that she's had four different kids and four different personalities, and then also having to manage those family dynamics is a lot of experience. Yeah, it's just a, a lot, lot of experience. experience. <laughs> I want I want to continue a conversation and about this idea of like good parent, a good parent. Mm. And like, is there another word that's more inclusive, expansive? Like, isn't is it finding contentment? Is it having peace in your parenting? Is it not roller coasting through the, the like guilt and shame that sometimes comes along with parenting. Well, it's funny because I use the word effective, which has like a little bit of an antiseptic quality to it, I realized, <laughs> but it also yes. ignores my experience. But when I say effective, what I mean is, am I matching this person and what they need? Yes. Yes. Because I feel like that's my job, but I like that you ended up bringing something up that has to do with also thinking about our parenting holistically, where we're not just thinking about whether or not we're a good match for the kid and giving the kid what they need, but like, are we parenting in a way that allows us to walk through the world feeling free of self-judgment and self-imposed guilt and all of that too. In in alignment with our values too, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But haven't you ever parented in line with your values and it doesn't work for your kid? Um, Every single day. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. Not like my big values because my big values are like, right. They are what they are. And like, I want, you know, we all want to raise people who are going to be good people who are going to go into the world and be a positive influence, kind, caring. And those are just, you know, those aren't malleable. Those are principles that I like really, I think we all try to stay on the course and like, that's, we're teaching our kids that, but then there's like secondary values that are really about Billis or really about Megan. And like, uh, maybe Isaac doesn't agree with that. Like, maybe I don't want my kids ravaging the pantry at 545 <laughs> while din- I'm trying to plate up dinner, but I'm also like not going to take on that battle every single day either. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it might seem 
left field to some people that we're talking about this in an introduction to a food conversation. But actually, as we touch on with Kristen, I think that food is very much tied to how we value ourselves and how people value us and how we judge other people as parents. What makes a good parent and what doesn't make a good parent? Food is so tied up in that mix, whether we realize it or not. And raising kids who feel free to understand food on their own terms yeah. is really the goal. And a lot of clashes can come up against that. You know what I mean? Like what it means to be polite, what it means to be respectful around food, what it means to have, like, is an expanded palate really important to you? Is it not? And if it is, why? And maybe your kid doesn't give a crap and is a picky eater. And that's okay. As long as they're getting, as long as they're growing yeah, and their brain can function, like that's really just the job and the point. So yeah. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's interesting, especially, I think it's interesting for all of us, but in the context of being a single parent, because of that like deep emotionality around food when you've been partnered and then you uncouple and you feel like as the family cook, you're responsible for all of that on your own. That's a lot of labor. Yeah. Mental labor too, right? Yes. That no the one talks about. Internalized, unseen, isolating kind of emotions. That no one is like, let's write a blog post. Let's put this on the cover of our glossy food magazine. Yeah. Let's talk about guilt and shame and, you know. And do you feel more responsible? And do you feel alone? And do you feel more shame if now you're the only parent and feeding isn't going the way you want it to go? Like, what does that mean? You know, and then there's also the practical stuff. I imagine that for many people, when you divorce or you're widowed, you uncouple for whatever reason, your budget changes, the demands on your time really change. Yeah. And those are all factors that you have to think about. Like, what do we talk about all the time, Megan? We're like, we're tired. We have no time. (laughs) And the budget, like all these things. Yes. And then then that shifts again. You're shouldering that by yourself. Yes. And then you're also butting up against another household yes if you're divorced yeah so we get into all this with Kristen I think we should introduce her and then I want to chat with you before we wrap up about your own experience growing up with a single mom too a little bit and like how that oh boy impacts your identity and (laughs) also how you feed your family I know it's a whole thing it's a whole thing but first (laughs) but first Kristen Chase is the publisher and CEO of CoolMomPicks.com. She has spent the last 15 years recommending the coolest gifts and gear for parents to millions of readers each year. Kristen has been seen on the Today Show, CNN, CBS, Atlanta, on national satellite media tours, and in myriad publications, including the Washington Post and NBC News, talking about shopping and parenting culture. Her first novel and children's picture book will be published in 2023. She's the mom of four kids, ages 11 through 17. Holy crap. (laughs) Lives in the suburbs of Philly. Welcome to the show, Kristen. All right, Kristen, let's start by you telling us how many children you're feeding, who you're cooking for, are you cooking? Like, give us the lay of the land in your house at this point. 
So I am a single mom with four kids, three teens and one tween. So that's kind of like eight kids (laughs) in some ways. I don't know about cooking, but snacking for sure is like eight kids. And so while I do have a few kids, especially my 15-year-old son, I have to say, he is the chef in the house. He's the most adventurous. Overall, I'm the one doing all the cooking for everybody. What do you feel like is the most challenging part of being a single parent cooking for everybody day in and day out? Well, as a single mom, I have to say that there is a lot of guilt, I think, that comes into my life when it comes to kitchen stuff, right? Because the whole, all of us sitting at a table eating dinner every night just is completely impossible. It just doesn't happen. And I don't know if this is changing, but I feel like there's still a lot of judgment about that. Like, it still seems to be like a parental accomplishment. Like, you are a good parent if you are sitting around the table. First of all, one of me and four of my kids around the table is just, it isn't really super fun. (laughs) I love my kids, but it's like, it is not even like... You know, who, I don't even know. Is that really fun? I mean, I think we can kind of last for like seven minutes. Yes. And then people are arguing. Yeah. And then it's like, no one likes what you made. And then people are picking things out of the food that you so lovingly chopped. You're like, why am I doing this? Yes. So I think for me, it's this idea. I've gotten a lot better with it that I need to have family dinners with everyone sitting around the table. And I finally have come to the place, almost, I think, where that's just not our family time. That's just not going to be our family time. For, for us, like mealtime is to sustain my children <laughs> for, for an hour and a half yes, until they're hungry. Totally. Again. But it's not like our time of family togetherness. Okay, so I want to go back in time a little bit because I think part of this is also their ages. How old were they when you became a single mom? So I have been a single mom sort of on and off, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the bulk of my single momness, my kids were really little. My youngest was two, right? And so now she's 11. And um, I have to say that it was a little easier, to be honest with you, in some ways to have family meals. Yeah, because I wasn't dealing with activities. And it's, I don't, you know, you, you ladies know, it's like, it's insane. And I have four kids. They only each do one thing. It's not like my kids are super overscheduled, but I am in my car a lot. Yeah. And I wasn't when they were littler and we just didn't have those after school commitments. And so I was very fortunate. I was working from home, you know, doing cool mom pics and writing and all that sort of thing. So I was able to be home and make meals. And it was just so much easier. I feel like right now I'm competing with all the act after school activities and social lives. Yes. I mean, totally. which is important for kids. It's developmental for them to have those social interactions. But my kids, they stay out after school and walk around town yeah. and they often use their money to feed themselves. And so, yeah, so that's where I'm at. So Isaac, who's also 15, is like a pretty um, routine person. So he likes to socialize on Friday nights, like Friday, he just stays out. 
but it's always like a little bit of a question. It depends on the weather because they like to be outside a lot oh, yeah. of the time. Huh, huh, oh, what yeah. are they same. doing? <laughs> same. Same, same. So I'm same. always like on Fridays, I have this anxiety where I'm like, are you like, are you coming home for dinner? Like, okay, you're going to be out beyond dinner, but like, should I have food at home for you? It's like this retracted back and forth. And I finally realized like, whatever. You're on your own. You're on your own on Friday nights. Like I can't yeah, no, try to manage I, yes. you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important, right? Is sort of like meeting your kids where they are, right? And 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 taking out this responsibility of like, you know, it has to be like this. Yeah. It must be like this. And really looking at your situation. You know, for me, I find that when I meal plan, like this is what it's come to, ladies. I always, I come back to it. She's a convert. Yes, I am. I really feel like, especially, listen, I'm on a budget. Yeah. Okay. And I still have two kids who are home. So they're not eating at school. So I have two kids at school. I have two kids at home. I don't really love gender stereotypes, but my son just, he is more active. He plays hockey. He consumes more food than my girls do. That's just, just, just how it is in my house. And so for me, the budget is important. And so I have found that it is not only a money saver for me, but it is a mental health situation. When I know what I'm cooking, I look at my list. I know I've bought those ingredients for my meals. It's And, and for me, it's dinner, right? Lunch is where I'm a little more flexible. It is, I, I have to do it as a single parent, especially that is just the only way that I survive. Okay. So where are you drawing recipes from? Because I want to get to talking about food media. Has it been helpful yeah. to you through different stages as a single parent? It sounds like maybe when your kids were younger, you were able to like look at recipes, make meals. Maybe you had to make adjustments for serving size. I don't know. Talk to us about that too. But like, do you feel like the food media has been helpful to you or family food media? That's a tricky question, you know, because I was never someone who cooked, right? Growing up, I didn't really do a lot of cooking. Mm -hmm. And I actually learned everything that I know. And I actually know a fair amount from watching the Food Network. I mean, I watched Giada. I watched Rachel Ray. I watched all of those folks. I learned everything that I know. And I feel like I learned a lot from them. So I am very grateful for that. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of shows out there that I think are more accessible to home cooks, to people like me. So I I don't think some of those folks are really out of touch. I do think there are a lot of in-touch folks. Um, But for me, it's a time factor. Don't have a lot of time to flip through recipe books. And, you know, my boyfriend is a great cook. I mean, he actually bought me an Instant Pot. He actually bought me a rice cooker. (laughs) I am an Asian without a rice cooker. Okay, y'all. My my lovely white boyfriend bought his Asian girlfriend a rice cooker. And I still haven't used it. Because I'm afraid that this is a whole thing. This, this is, is like, a whole thing. Stacey's done this. I also, did, I also didn't cooker. use my rice cooker for a long time. It's a whole story. I'm so afraid. <laughs> I cook rice in a pot. But you know what changed me? Last week, I put rice in a pot and I told my children, this is the dumbest thing. This is a rookie mistake. Turn it down when you hear it boiling. Oh, oh no. guess what? I <laughs> Three hours later, my pot's in the trash can, right? <laughs> so guess what? Rice cooker yes. it is. But, you know, I I just don't. 
have the time or energy to do a lot of exploring and searching for recipes. So I rely a lot on folks like you ladies on like Cool Mom Eats and Lisa, who does a lot of our recipe curation and, and quite frankly, Instagrammers who are recommended to me. I get a lot of my recipes from sort of what I would call, I'm using air quotes, like word of mouth, right? Where they've been tested. It doesn't look difficult to make. And for me, it's like, I know my kids are going to eat it. Like, again, it goes back to that budget thing. I don't have a lot of time and money to spend on things that I'm not sure if my kids are going to eat. And I don't feel personally responsible to be like, I am going to expose them to all tastes of the world. That's why there are restaurants. Right? Like, that's a restaurant's job. My job is to like keep them alive and, you know, make them feel nourished and get them through their day. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's really where I'm finding my recipes. Like last night I tried a new recipe, Diane Morrissey. I made like baked gnocchis and it was great and it was everything my kids liked. liked, Okay. I'll make that again. And then I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it. Forever until they won't eat it. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I want to pull back a little bit though and say, because these Stacey and I, we live in the world of family food media and we definitely have biases because of that, where we feel like food media for families is not speaking to a lot of diversity in families, but you've come up through like parenting media with cool mom picks. Do you, do you feel like parenting media is speaking to single parents or large families, like the diversity of what we call a family now, not just the nuclear for, for people. You know, I think there's more diversity and representation, you know, across the board, but you have to look for it. And that's the problem, right? It's like, you really have to search to find your own people. And I think what's challenging is that you kind of don't know, like you'll see someone in their beautiful kitchen and they're making all this stuff and you're like, should I be doing that? But like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? right? You don't realize that like they have a working spouse, like they can spend a lot of time, like looking for ingredients and making this food. Like they are just, you know, they're privileged in that way that I am not. And so I think that has been the challenge, right? Is that you really have to look for your people, if you will, right? You need to look for diversity and representation. And you also have to kind of have a lens of how you're seeing the stuff that that, that is being thrown at you, right? Like you have to know, okay, wait a second. Like, I'm not going to let this guilt me. I'm not going to let there be shame involved with the fact that I can't do what they're doing because of my situation. So I think, yes, we need more attention to single parenting, specifically in the niche of like food, right? Like I I see it more overall, um, but I don't see it necessarily in like parenting teens or like how to cook for your family or like, you know, all all those little niche areas that uh, you encounter on an everyday basis. Right. Yeah. As a follow up to that, where do you send people like someone's newly single, they're a newly divorced parent or widowed parent. And they're like, I don't even know where to start. Where is a good starting place? Have you found that to recommend? That's a really good question. 
I would have no idea. <laughs> I really don't know. And that's that's like a, that's a problem. Right. Yeah, totally. I had a couple of people text me and say that they're in the middle of a divorce. You know, what's interesting is that people come to me and they ask me these questions. One person was looking for books, right, that were more like positive, like you've got this, you're uplifting, you know, like it's all good. It's going to it's going to be okay. And I reached out to my friend, Jessica Ashley, who's a divorce coach. Right. And and she's like, there really isn't anything Mm -hmm. out there that's like, you've got this, you know. So for me, like, I think. I look towards not necessarily blogs, right, but more like social media. So I, you know, I talk about it a fair amount, but, you know, not overly so. I know Jill Krause, right, who's separated, talks about it a lot. I tend to look for the folks on Instagram who I think talk about it in a way and and are honest, but I think they're, they're balanced in what they present as well. Yeah. Because that's important. And it's a huge transition that like, we don't necessarily do a good job of talking about. My mom has a PhD uh, in social work. And she did her whole thesis about grief and how there's no public education around grief. And like, divorce is a big loss. Um, So I'm curious, I know you said your kids were really young when you first became a single mom, but were there food components to that transition? Like, did you feel like you had to support them with those family meals more at that time versus now where they're more settled in the routine of your of your lives? That's a great question. And it was a little different for me because my ex was a pilot. So he was gone all the time. So I was actually Mm. used to doing meals alone. So I we rarely had family meals altogether. So I was really used to it. But a couple months ago, I had a couple conversations with uh, newly single moms. And it was a huge thing. Family meals were very much a part of their their nuclear family existence. And she was feeling a loss, not only because she was used to having four people at the table and now there were three and it felt, and she was in the house where they used to live. And now that chair was empty. Like there were a lot of emotions and feelings around that, but also again, her inability to have those family meals because she wasn't partnered anymore. And she was driving her kids all around town to their activities and doing a lot of takeout and not really feeling like they were getting healthy meals that they used to be and carrying that guilt. Yeah herself, right? Which is not her guilt to carry by any means, right? It was a decision that you made, the best decision for your family, like all of those things. So, you know, my experience is a little different, but even just talking to one mom about it, wow, like this is a thing, right? It, it It is such a big issue for so many single parents and newly divorced families. I feel like family dinner is part of the idealization of what it means to be partnered and in a family, right? It's like, it's the painting, (laughs) you know, it's the Norman Rockwell image. It's like, we're all, I don't know if he actually painted a family dinner, but I feel like he could, it's, you know, all of us sitting around the table together. And so even when that isn't part of your reality on a consistent basis, the loss of that being a possibility, I can imagine is very powerful for a lot of people. Oh, it's huge. And I think 
there is a lot of, and I talked about this earlier, right? This idea that like, if your kids can eat at a table, right? Let's talk about that too. Yes, like if your seriously. kids have table manners and can eat yes. at a table, then like that is a reflection upon your right. parenting. Yes. And it was interesting for me now in my new situation, right? Trying to blend families. My boyfriend has a child. They often have family meals together because mm -hmm. he's one child yep. and he loves to cook and it's like their thing and that's what they do. I do not have that experience. And so when we are all together, it's like super important for him that we have family meals. And my kids really just haven't had big family meals. They actually have them at their dad's house. It's a thing. And then it's like, it becomes a like point of contention, right? Because it's like, oh, well, your mom doesn't think this is important. Oh, it's a good time. Yeah. It's all fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, initially, I was super anxious. Because my kids were like using their own spoon to like scoop out mashed potatoes, <laughs> just like, oh my God. And I actually ended up talking to my friend who's a therapist, and she's like, they know how to eat. Yes. Right? Like, if you take them to a restaurant, like they're not like grabbing crap with their hands, but this is their home. Like they feel comfortable here. Like this is, and this is how yes. it is. And is it really? The time, like, are you really going to make your dinner time a teaching moment, right? And I was like, okay, no, like we're blending families. There are new people here. It's anxiety provoking. Like, let, just let the people eat. <laughs> I was going to say when you were describing, you know, what family life is like at their ex, at your ex's house versus at your house, that there's probably a lot of joy and freedom and independence that your kids feel around food. And oh, totally. I think that part of the conversation around food is missing that, like that very important piece. We're not just, Megan and I say this all the time, we're not just teaching kids to like kale, we're teaching them to have a good relationship with food. And part of that is knowing how to eat at a restaurant and knowing how to be civilized <laughs> around a table yeah, when you need absolutely. to be. There will be situations yeah. where that's called for. It's also feeling free around food, feeling like you can make independent choices, like you can decide what goes in your body and when it goes in your body. So it, to me, it sounds like they're getting actually a very like full experience around food and eating. That's pretty great. But I can imagine from where you sit, how it would be anxiety provoking. Yeah, it's super stressful. It was super stressful, right? Because like I felt like I was being judged. I wasn't being judged, right? But I felt like yes. I was being judged. And then it was like, can't your children function at a dinner table? <laughs> like, like, why are they, you know, like, like it was very important for him that like everyone sat down and waited until the, the, sh the cook was sitting at the table before we could all eat. Oh, and I'm Lord. like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Right. That's awesome. And that also works for his yes. family because he has one child, yes. right? I have four, right? And there was like a kind of come to Jesus moment just for myself. Like it wasn't, I was making it up, right? You know what I mean? Like, and I was feeling, def like I was like, this is my thing, right? I was like, oh, you know, I've got to fix this, my children. Yeah. And I was like, actually, I have parented for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Like I know what I'm doing. My kids are cool, right? And so like, if that's your expectation, like we need to talk about that yeah. because I don't know, like if that's, if it's your home and that's important to you, totally cool. But like, this is my home and I'm fine with people just sitting down and eating because 
if you've been at a table with four of your children and they all have to wait, like that is hell. That's just (laughs) hell. It's no fun. Right. And I don't care. Right. At the end of the day, like my battles, like that's not a battle I want to have. So it's I think I know that's not single parenting, but it is because it's blending. It's blending families who have different views about food. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a really great permission slip of like, it, it doesn't have to be this perfect idealized thing for it to be successful and for it to feel like a food win in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Before we hear more from Kristen, let's take a quick break to hear from one of this week's sponsors. Megan, Mother's Day is coming up and there's always this funny conversation about gifting. Right? Like, should you give moms something practical that helps in their daily life? Or should it be something sentimental that reflects the mother-child relationship? Or maybe the best gift is a small luxury that's just for mom. There's certainly no one right answer since every mom has their own love language. But it'll come as no surprise that I love small luxuries that are just for me. I couldn't agree more. Though... Maybe what we each consider a small luxury is different. I love fancy chocolate and I bet you love pretty jewelry. And we both love pretty trinkets for our home. Yes, we do. You know what else we both love? Easy skincare that feels luxe and is easy to maintain, which is why we are both still very much in love with our matter-of-fact sorbic acid 20 brightening sea serum and minimalist hydrating cream. Both of which need restocking just in time for Mother's Day. (coughs) Hint, hint, Brian and Mike. (laughs) It's true. We've been using both Matter of Fact products since before the holidays. They feel great, help our skin look bright and healthy, and have been so easy to keep up as part of a low-maintenance routine. Honestly, that's a big deal to me. It can be hard to find practical skincare that works, feels luxurious, and can be maintained. I've been gifted fancy skincare that I use up and never return to because it's either too expensive or doesn't live up to the hype. With Matter of Fact, you can give a gift that actually becomes part of a real-life routine. This Mother's Day, give the gift of gorgeous skin with the Matter of Fact gift bundle. Visit matteroffact.com and enter the code DIJFY15 at checkout for 15% off. That's matteroffact.com, code D-I-J-F-Y-15, short for didn't I just feed you. Or pass that code along to anyone who might be buying a gift for you. You deserve it. You have just said, listen, family dinner is not our family time. It's not how we get it in. But like for anyone who is newly single, what are the, like, and it doesn't have to be tied to food in any way, shape or form. Like what is family time for your family and what makes you feel contentment with your family and get to see how cool your kids are? Yeah. You know, we do a lot of watching movies together. We watch TV shows together. Like that's kind of our thing right now. Um, You know, driving in a car (laughs) places is family time. And I think one of the big things I had to give up was this idea that we were going to all be able to like do something together on a regular basis. And I think that depends on your family size. It depends on your schedule. But like me with four kids doing something all together is a lot. It just is not going to happen that often. And that's just how it is. I want to say I only have a family of four, two kids and a partner. And it also depends on personalities. And I have to tell you, a lot of times, just the four of us together is really annoying. It's it becomes (laughs) it's not pleasurable to all of us. 
Yes. It really isn't. And so that's part of why we travel so much because when we travel, we we have learned because we've been doing it since they were so little how to travel together. And there's something mm-hmm. about the boys being alone with each other, especially mm-hmm. for the older one, where he's like, oh, my little brother's all I got here, where their yeah. dynamic is really different out of the home context, out of their like regular context. So we travel. Outside of travel, the four of us don't really love, like, let's do a family activity. There's always like fighting and annoying stuff going on. Yeah. And that's okay. I I don't know where we got this idea that we all had to do stuff all together. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of funny. And I, I never really thought that. And again, like, I think you know, like I bring my poor boyfriend into this, but like, it's like, you know, he has one kid. And so for him to do stuff with his one kid, like that's basically that's their family time is their time together. Think about it. Right. It's like, that is your whole family. (laughs) Like for me, being with one kid is not my whole family, but it is lovely. And so I think, you know, single parents, like, and parents who are partnered and blending and all of those things that you have to really look at your own family right? You can't yes. compare yourself to what everybody else is doing. You really have to trust your gut. And that's what's happened with me is like, I just personally get like, I get hard on myself. And I'm like, Oh, well, I, you know, they, he's doing all this stuff. But like, I got to do with like, well, wait a second. One mom with four kids yes. is very different than one dad and one kid. It's completely different. Yeah. So a lot of it has been being okay with you know, me and two kids hanging out and that feels great. You know, okay. It's what it is. I have two questions for you. <laughs> One is just out of curiosity and then we'll get down to brass tacks before we close out. What do you eat when your kids aren't around? Do you ever have time where all four kids are like either with their dad or activities or out with friends and it's just you and you like, do you just eat <laughs> cereal or do you like cook something <laughs> great for yourself? Oh, I never cook something great for myself. (laughs) I, you know, I think that uh, I will say this. There is something lovely about just cooking for like myself and my partner, right? Like our first date, I made my mom's pepper steak, right? And I loved making it. I cooked it and it was wonderful (laughs) and romantic. And I, I love doing that. When you are always responsible for, and you have your listeners get this, you get this when you're always responsible for feeding your kids. I feel like the last thing you want to do is like come up with something (laughs) to feed yourself. You're just like, Oh, I'll just grab whatever. So I don't really change my food habits when my kids aren't there. Right. Like I'll just kind of go in and like, I'm a charcuterie kind of person, right? Like just give me like crackers and Dijon and some like salami or pepperoni and like pickles. And like my kids call it like the platter, like hummus, like, I'm a, I'm a super fan of that. Like it feels a little decadent in some ways. I don't know like what it is, like add some grapes on there. So that's typically what I will do. Um, I don't have a lot of guilt around like, oh, I can't, you know, like I'm going to hide my cereal. My kids aren't here. Like I don't, I've kind of let go of all of that gratefully because I know that there was a time probably when I was like, I need to hide in my closet. And, but I I don't feel that anymore. Like, and they're older 
and they they know what's going on. So <laughs> cereal is like my favorite thing. I can't keep it in the house though because they eat it all before me. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you look, we have a, an intricate system of hiding food in my house. <laughs> okay, no, it is it is like so my boyfriend's son came to stay with me for a week and he is an only child. So like he did not understand that like <laughs> your food is everyone's food, my friend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I, I had gotten him like some special root beer and I was like, you need to hide that. <laughs> Seriously? You want to find that? You need to hide it. But I find cliff bars yeah. in like weird places. I find candy. Like if people are like, oh, ha ha, you must have hidden this. Like, no, no, my children, that, that's a recent thing. <laughs> that is a recent thing that has happened because if you want, your favorites in my yes. house, you got to hide it or it's gone. Well, because it is gone. I think with older kids, their portions are so much bigger. So there was a huge yes. fight over Fruity Pebbles the other day. <laughs> and then I kind of got into it and I was like, I only had one mug full. Like I didn't even get it. And it's my money, by the way, guys. And they were, yes. they both looked <laughs> yeah. at me like, what? Like those aren't for you. They're for us. But like, you know, one serving is a third of the box now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you want it, you better like figure it out. It's like, yeah, my kids, they, they know like, they Lord of the flies here. and, and the like, yeah. Stuff. And if you come to me and you want my sympathy, like you're not going to get it. Right. Like, sorry, kids. <laughs> you're not like, you, know, you know, better now. Like, yeah. you know, to hide it. Like my, my, my 13 year old Margot, she is so good. <laughs> like she knows she puts it in the vegetable drawer. She's like, no yes. one goes in the vegetable drawer. So she, put, I open it up and there's like fruit roll ups yeah. in my vegetable drawer. She's yep. smart. <laughs> okay. You talked about meal planning. Are there any other habits around dealing with, you know, being the family cook as a single parent, feeding four kids that are really essential to things running smoothly and you staying calm around mealtimes in your house? Okay. Let me think about that. Well, for me, especially with a big family, it's like you always need more than you think you do. So yes. don't don't be like two boxes oh, of already... fruity pebbles. Yes. Oh my gosh, my friend makes fun of me still because she when I had I think I had three kids at the time and she came to visit me when I had my fourth and I went to the grocery store and I came home with like one roll of paper towels <laughs> and like one thing of milk. Yeah. And she's like, what are you doing? Like, you should be shopping at like Costco or BJ's or like a bulk store. And I was just like still in the mindset of having two kids. So my thing is like, you always need more than you think you will need. Totally. And you always want to have a running list, right? Like you, and we just actually posted something funny from one of our writers, Caroline, about like you, you like never checking the fridge before you go shopping. You always check the fridge. Always. Always check the fridge. We actually regrammed right. that and I got like a ton of hearts in our. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because that is, I think that is the biggest mistake is that if you are going to go to the store, look in your fridge first. Right. And that is why, like, I have four bottles of pickles. <laughs> That will last us until 2047, right? And I don't, and like my son's like, where's the milk, right? Yes, like this yeah, is what yes. happens. So for me, for me, it's always get more than you think, especially for items that are, that are, have a long shelf life, like almond milk, for example, which kind of lasts forever in many ways, right? You can get more of that. And I think 
you know, I keep a like a list on my fridge. And my rule is like, if you are going to complain to me about not getting something at the store that you like, that was your responsibility, right? Like I am not the keeper of all the lists and things, right? I really want to empower my kids. You know, it's like, I'm not going to go out and buy six boxes of tasty cakes. Like you can try to put that on the list, but if there's something, you know, that you're frustrated about, like, I'll be like, you never get cream cheese. And I'm like, (laughs) what made me, who made me the keeper of all the things? Like, put it on a list. So I think empowering your kids to be a part of that conversation as well, especially as a single parent, you're already carrying so much of a mental load, like especially if you have older kids as well, like they can participate in that process. A hundred percent. I endorse that. And I also want to say that I do think it works for kids who are younger than you might think it works for. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is very true as well. Even very true. seven and eight, seriously. Mm-hmm. And then you might have to put more boundaries around it, but you're already doing that. You already said like, I'm not going to buy six boxes of Tasty Hate, go for it, but whatever. You know, yeah. so you just have to be a little bit more clear with them because they don't like get it yet. The way teenagers, you can just roll your eyes and they understand. <laughs> you don't have to explain I to agree. Them. You know, I tell, I tell a lot of partnered people to think like a single parent because it actually helps yeah. your children be yes. more involved. Like you are not the server of all the things. Like I, I understand that that is like a, I don't know. I'm Gen X. Like that was a thing. I don't remember my mom ever eating. Honestly, I can't even remember her eating. She was always giving, like being the one to give us food. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not super down with that. So in some ways, think like, think like you're the only one and you can't do it all and get your kids involved in the process, right? Like your snack drawer, Stacy, or like, you know, like you can, you can maintain it so that you don't have to worry about your kids like not eating their dinner if that's a problem in your house. Like you can do all those things, but getting them involved in the process. So if you're not a single parent, think like one, because when they're old enough to do all this stuff, it won't be such a shock to their system when you're like, you know, you can get your own apple out of the fridge, right? Like I see so many moms whose kids are clueless in the kitchen. They're like, can you get me? And I'm like, wait, what? Your legs are working, right? Like, <laughs> you have, right? Like your hand, yes. like, why can you not go? Like, how did this happen? And I think a lot of it is because it's easier for us, whatever it is. Yeah, so like, think totally. like a parent, like pretend yeah. like you cannot do it and you need their help. Yeah. And it's so full circle to what you were saying about how like you didn't grow up cooking and in the kitchen. And so then you relied on food media to teach you about those things. And then that influenced how you felt about feeding your family when you had one. Um, So creating like doing that now removes that reliance on these other sources that are going to be biased. Totally. I mean, listen, my 15 year old can totally like as evidenced by the pan with egg still stuck in it, sitting (laughs) on my stove this morning when I came down. But he's so empowered in the kitchen, right? He's super empowered. He makes cheesesteaks. We were making dumplings. Like he, he, I don't have to worry about him, right? Like he can totally do his own thing in the kitchen. And I never had that, you know, like he knows how to cut garlic. He knows how to cut it. He knows all of those things. So I don't actually then need to rely on, or he doesn't necessarily need to rely on, food media or anyone else because he knows how to do all those things. Did you teach him that? And do the other ones know too? Because I do think that sometimes when you have a kid like that and you talk about it, 
people think that we did something magical. And like in my case, I have one kid who's empowered in the kitchen, the other who isn't. Yes. Yeah, and it's just their same. it's just their personalities. It is their personality. Like my oldest, who is supposed to go away to college, she's like, um, I don't know how to boil an egg. <laughs> yeah, and totally. I'm like, how do you not how do you not know that? Like my eleven year old, she makes like eggs in the hole, right? Like in the bread yeah. and the toast. Like she knows totally knows how to do it. She'll still ask me to make it for her. And I'm like, you know how to do this. But whatever. But no, my oldest is it's just like, but she my oldest can sew like an award winning cosplay and yes. has like 150,000 yes. followers on TikTok watching her do her performance, she does. right? It's so amazing. It's like, that's a side like, note. We're going to link to her if that's okay. You yeah. need to know your kids. Yes, you totally. really do, right? You need to know your kids and also be willing to take to, the time to show them. I think a lot of times it's like super frustrating. You're like, well, you don't know how to do that. But then it's like, well, you kind of needed to learn how to toast a bagel. Like, it's not like you like popped out of the womb. Totally. I mean, even if even you New Yorkers. Yes. Like, it's not like you popped out of the womb and knew how to like cut a bagel and, and toast it true. and do all those things. You have to be willing to teach them. But like, not every kid is going to be as excited about totally food, right. It's yeah. And not the flip happen. side to that is when Isaac doesn't want to do it, because Isaac will opt to not eat over getting his in the kitchen and doing something for himself. Mm-hmm. I have to sit in that discomfort of like, oh, I'll just do it for you because I want you to eat like he's fine. And he'll eventually figure it out on his own or he'll microwave cheese on bread, which he does. And I'm like, why wouldn't you just put that in a pan? And it's so much more delicious. And he just doesn't care. So like, yeah, again, that stepping back and like treating yourself like I can't do it all. I don't have to step in. Yeah. It's hard around food because it's so primal and it's so emotional. And the idea Mm -hmm. that like we must feed our children, that is how we are good parents it's right. so like built in, I think, culturally. It is. It really is. That it's hard, but you go so much further and it gets so much easier if you can just do that. Well, yeah. it also teaches them to listen to their body, yes. right? Which is, which is, this is like food adjacent, right? But like this idea that you need to eat, like if you, if you don't eat breakfast, right? And you get to 11 o'clock and you, every, you're angry at everyone, like, that's a problem. So if you're not hungry at eight o'clock, like what can you do? Those are the problem solving situations, especially for your older kids. But I, I want parents to do that with their younger kids too, is to teach them to listen to their body. But if we're constantly like, would you like a snack? Did you like an after school snack? (laughs) It's time for lunch. Like if we're constantly like serving our kids and not asking them Oh, you know, how are you feeling? Is your is your tummy like are you feeling a little hungry yes. right now? When's the last time you ate? Did you have some water? And letting them listen to their body, like that will help them when they're older. Yes. Because I see a lot of kids who have no clue. They're just they're playing their video games or they're like they're doing they're playing sports, like and they are then they're hangry. They have no idea because no one put plopped a bowl of pasta next to them. Megan is yeah. familiar with this with her husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has uh, talked a lot about this. And I'm I, like, as you're sitting here sharing this, I'm like, is it like a generational thing? Like I'm squarely an elder millennial and I definitely recognize the like helicopter parenting that you're observing of like, I'm constantly being like, oh, let's pack, let's pack a snack for the kids because they won't think of it. Um, but I'm also seeing as my kids are seven and 10 now, 
the problems with having done that for so long and trying to pull back on it now is harder than having just established those routines early on. Well, there's just so much crap around feeding kids, right? It so much. Breastfeeding and formula, like from the very totally. beginning, it starts, right? Totally. It's like this whole thing. And so I think that the, that it's just carryover. It's just yeah. carryover, yes. right? And I think your kids are at a perfect age. I mean, kids are really, any age is a good age to do this. Yes. But like, it's so healthy. Like, for instance, especially I feel like girls and eating disorders is a huge thing um, that we are not really addressing very well. And I think food people like you both, I know you talk about it, like we need to be the ones to really address this stuff. And I talk to my, she plays field hockey and we talk about it all the time. She's like, sometimes I like look at myself. I don't feel so great. But then I, you tell me I play field hockey and it's really important that my body is strong. And these are the things that can help me. And I know that if I have a game that I need to have protein in my system before, like uh, this is the stuff. Like, these are the conversations we want to have. It's not just about, oh, you need to have a snack. Yeah. Oh, it's lunchtime. Like, explaining to our kids the why behind this. Like, when I don't eat breakfast, by 11 o'clock, I'm hangry. I'm eating anything. And then 2 o'clock, I have a headache. Yes. doesn't matter. And this is what happens to me. And I'm 46 almost. (laughs) If only I had learned yes, this yes, yeah. back, way back when, yeah. what a difference it would make. But I, so yeah. that's what I'm, you know, that's kind of one of my big things with food and kids, right? Is like empowering them to make those decisions and having them understand the why. Yes. Totally. Why is it important? Why am I bugging you about having a snack? Yeah. Because it's not great for your body. When you haven't eaten, your body is trying to find energy from other places. And then you get really grouchy and upset or you get a little woozy. I don't yes. know. I could go on forever about this. Yes, <laughs> I know. And we have to have you back soon to talk about teens specifically, because that's a very underrepresented portion yes. of food media. I mean, Stacy's digging into it a lot here yes. and on our personal Instagram, but I think there's just so, so many layers to it. Yeah. I, but I do feel like we, we've stolen so much of your time today. So, <laughs> it's so fun. Thank you for it's, being it's super here. Fun. Thank you. No, I'm so glad you all are doing this. I hope it was helpful. Megan. Billis. We were both, we were both raised by single moms. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about it? <laughs> I mean, I have a lot to say about it, which is why we're going to do yep. uh, an exclusive episode for our listeners group where our moms can't listen. <laughs> Shh. But, you know, having a single mom is so much a part of my identity. The story I tell even about, like, how I became a cook is that my mom was like a busy working mom. She's putting herself through school, raising three kids on a budget and that she just would buy like a lot of hamburger helper, a lot of canned tuna and that I got tired of those things. So I started like started cooking because I wanted to help her and because I wanted to eat other things. So I also had this like influence of spending weekends with my dad at his restaurants and, and being exposed to other food. Yep. And I also think that there's a layer to how I feed my family that's reflective of that. Like my mom did grow up with the media being like, if you don't have family dinner, your kids are going to be drug addicts. And we were also latchkey kids. So like we came home and ate a lot of food without supervision, including like 
ramen, dry ramen with the seasoning packet, just like sprinkled on it. Like so much stuff that is joyful and nostalgic for me in a lot of ways. But I like, we always had as much as we could, not always, as much as we could, we had family dinner together. But for many years, it was just my brother and I and my mom. So it's just three of us, which seems easier. Um, And so family dinner has been hugely important to me and in my family and what my family structure looks like. And I definitely, unfortunately, use that as a measure of quote unquote success for my family. Like, oh, are we having family meals together? But I'm also seeing the problems with that, even in my like stable family of being partnered and like having two kids it's, it's hard. It brings up a lot of like expectations from and feelings from me. And I see Brian, my husband, like also running into things where he just wants to, he's like, I just want everyone to sit at the table because I, that's what mom wants where I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's okay if we have to get up and get things or if we're interrupted or if everyone doesn't like the meal at the table. Like I just want as a secondary layer is like, I want the family dinner to be calm and yeah. peace, like a, a place of peace and not just like we're forced we're doing this and yeah. taking this off our list and I don't know that that's like actually happening and in some ways it's maybe bad that I have this thing of like well I have to do it better or different because yeah. my mom was a single mom she worked so hard to give me a different experience what about you so there's a lot of overlap in our stories which we'll tell in that bonus episode in our supporting membership, but there's a big difference, which is we didn't have family dinner. So my mom's house was unstable because I guess, well, okay, this is interesting. I'm saying my mom's house was unstable because I had an addict brother who was like going in and out of rehabs and like going back and forth between my dad's house. So sometimes my brother was at my dad's house and living with my dad. And why aren't I calling my dad's house unstable, even though that unstable element of dealing with my brother's addiction was there was because my dad was remarried and my, I had a sister, I had a little sister. So that felt like a nuclear family. And my dad owned a restaurant and my stepmother helped in that business. But because the two of them were running the restaurant, there was always at least someone who could like be home and prepare dinner and we'd wait for the other one to come home. And it was, it felt much more stable. Whereas at my mom's house, my mom was a working mom. So either it was me and my brother when my brother was around and like that didn't always feel like good and safe and normal or my mom would be around, but then my mom went back to college for herself, which was now in retrospect, amazing, but made me pretty angry back then because I was like, you're already not here. Now you're not here more. So she did what Kristen said is so important for single parents to do, which is I can't do it all. I can't be responsible, but really to an extreme in a way that for my personality really backfired. And I think that one of the factors here is that food isn't important to my mom. My mom's not a big eater. So she's like, I don't know, like open a can of sardines. I was like, that's not dinner to me, a can of sardines and a slice of feta cheese. Like, first of all, that's weird. I understand now that I understand the way that Greeks eat and I've gone to like Greek islands. Sure. Like a little fish and a slice of feta cheese and some good bread. And we're sitting by the ocean. But like I was in like our apartment (laughs) 
the United States and I'm 13. I'm like, that's weird, first off. And secondly, like that doesn't feel like dinner and where are you? She used to sometimes when I got a little bit older, we lived within walking distance of a supermarket and she would just leave a list on the table. And I, I was a latchkey kid too. So I'd come home, I'd let myself in. And it was like, I had the whole afternoon and evening to myself to do my homework, to get the shopping list, to walk over to ShopRite, to do some basic shopping. And then eventually I just started like making my own damn dinner because she'd come home and she was tired. She was a hairdresser. So she was on her feet all day. And again, she didn't care about dinner. So, you know, the most she could do was a box of rice roni, which FYI, still love forever. Still slaps. Forever. So RIP stroganoff rice roni. I wrote to the company at one point in my 20s <laughs> saying like, bring it back. So I too, even though you're your value of family dinner comes from the fact that your mom worked so hard to maintain that for you through your childhood. My thing about family dinner came from the opposite, came from the fact that like I had to do everything around cooking and food from a very young age and there was never family dinner. So I think I am compensating and definitely overcompensating. I have started giving my kids more autonomy. Oliver sort of took more autonomy on his own because he likes to cook, like Kristen said about her 15-year-old son. But Isaac is 15. And I still find myself sometimes being like, do you need a snack? Would you like me to make you ramen? Like, he's like, yeah, why not? Like, and also he has a little bit of a personality where Yes. He has thought he was royalty since he was like two years old. It's very <laughs> natural for him to feel that way. Um, we have talked about this offline. So that for me definitely comes from childhood. I don't know. I don't want to like overstate it, but like childhood pain, like I'm definitely yeah. overcompensating there, yeah. you know, and wanting to give him something that feels really different. Like my mother never cooked for the bake sale. My mother never made homemade things for birthday parties, like ever, ever, ever. Like she rarely cooked. And my grandmother, my mom's mom, who took care of me a lot, was an amazing cook and did everything from scratch with a little bit of a martyr about it, to be honest. But like, it, me. yeah, it's a little, <laughs> like it was a little much. I was like, okay, we get it. Um, but she was much more influential on my food life, her and my dad, than my mom. I hope this doesn't make my mom feel bad. I know. I always wonder that. And, you know, my mom last summer when she was here visiting us, she admitted that she doesn't listen to the podcast because she has this deep fear that I'm going to say on an episode, like, my mom f***ed me up. Yeah, isn't that so <laughs> and sad? And also, like, do you not also think some of it is that like we talk about trying to raise like, quote unquote, whole, happy, good humans like that's the ult yeah. ultimate goal, which I would um, like I've been a lot being like, I just want to raise like full humans like I just like be messy and imperfect, but like do do trying your best. Those are the people I want to raise. But there is also some deep rooted thing where I'm like, I just don't want to like f my kids up. Like I yeah. don't want my kids. I don't want to live in fear that my kids are going to be like, you 
Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> but that's the thing. This yeah, is it's a, hard. There's a couple it's hard and emerging and, in how we see it. And, and I do feel like this disproportionately falls on moms. It does. Okay. Where kids like it, it's the primary caretaker, but I think yeah. we all know that in our society that mostly is falling on moms, people who identify as moms, but I don't want my mom to feel bad because there are other things you can't do at all. Like you yeah. cannot be at all. And my mom, by deciding to go to college because she had been married and become a mom at 19 and then had a second marriage that wasn't very good and was very emotionally drained by raising two kids largely on her own, one who was an addict. And she finally was like, I'm going to go back to college and do something for myself. And it was for fashion design. It wasn't for anything like practical that she was, she was like, I love art. I never had the opportunity to pursue art and I'm going to do this just because I love it. And it fulfills me. That is a part of my food story in a way where she's like, Oh, did I things up? But then the flip side is that's, freaking amazing that she did that. And that did all these positive things for how I conceive of what it means to be a strong, independent person who is, you know, willing to invest in themselves just because that's what makes you happy. And fast forward, my mom's in her seventies now and has slowly gotten back to art. And is like taking lots of classes and does it mostly as like a retired person who's trying to fill her time. She sold a painting to a restaurant that my uncle works at. And now like fast forward a couple of years, she's getting multiple commissions and is starting to like make money off of her art. And it's so rewarding to her. And I'm so glad that she did that. You know, like we are going to mess our kids up in some ways, but then you know, if we're being whole people, like you're saying, you want to raise whole people, if we're being whole people and we strive to be authentic, it gets messy, but I feel like that's worth modeling. Yes. Right. And like, if we can just sever this idea that like how we feed our kids is part of this like fixed moral, I don't know. Measure of success. Yes, thank you. As a parent, yes. yeah, we're free to be more authentic. Because for you and me, feeding and cooking really is authentic. Yeah. Right? But it isn't for everybody. Like, it isn't for Kristen. Yes. And, so and also might not be for our kids, too. And I think that that's an important distinction and a theme that's coming up in how we feed. Like, yes, food is comfort and food in a lot of ways is love. But if you subscribe to the idea that like food isn't as valuable to everyone outside of like sustaining life, you also have to look at the other ways that you show up for your kids in order to serve them and, and be a a quote unquote successful parent, like successful parenting Isaac for you, who food is not a value is different than successful parenting for Oliver, who food is joy to him. Totally. And I, I think you're right that as we do more of these, how we feed the themes that are going to come through are that so much around food and eating and feeding 
is tied to how we judge ourselves and each other's in the context of parenting, especially, but how we judge ourselves, how we judge our bodies. And that actually, the more we let go of that and kind of debunk this idea that has, that's reinforced all the time in food media, that you have to cook every night and it has to look a certain way and it has to include certain foods and the result has to be your kid loving healthy food. The more that we actually leave space to raise whole children and be whole ourselves. Yeah. Woo. Well, just damn. Damn. Hot damn. Just a light and easy. Hot damn. (laughs) (laughs) So Megan, let's, let's cut it here and let's see what our community is going to say about this one. Because actually talking about being a single parent and feeding came, was a request that came from our community. It really did. Yeah. So we hope that you've already joined us at the Didn't I Just Feed You listeners community. If you haven't, you can join us for free at didn't I just feed you.com backslash community. Or if you want those bonus episodes to a month and other goodies as well, you can join our supporting membership. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we are at didn't I just feed you or by signing up for our newsletter. There's a link in our bio to sign up. There's a pop-up on our site. Newsletter subscribers get a fresh recipe every week. Woohoo! Hot off the stove. I was going to say press. And of course, <laughs> don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, leave us a rating or a review. We love them. They make us happy. And if you don't feel like doing that, you know what? Just recommend us to a friend. That would make us happy too. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.